I'm going to cheat a little bit because my my big goals for English are the same for all of my classes. And that would be love God and love my neighbor. Uh, but I do think English feeds into that a little bit specifically because God communicates to us it through written the written word. Um, we have an added impetus, right, to learn how to handle the written word correctly. We will read the Bible better if we are better readers. Uh, we will we will handle our own communication more winsomely and with more elegance in imitation of you know the Lord and his creativity if we know how to do that better. So I think that's helpful to keep in mind. Our goal, our ultimate goal is not college admissions or you know rock in the SAT. Ultimately it's to love God and enjoy him forever. Um, and, and there's no required reading list in the Bible. So there's an awful lot of freedom in that goal. <laughs> Welcome to Homeschool Conversations with Humility and Doxology, a series of interviews with real-life homeschool moms, dads, and other educators on all sorts of topics that affect our lives as homeschool parents. I'm Amy Sloan, a second-generation homeschool mom of five, and I am so delighted that you are here. Here on Homeschool Conversations, we'll discuss educational philosophy, family life, and more. Come chat with us. But first, let's hear from our podcast sponsor. The King's Meadow Humanities Lectures were designed to be a cultural overview, surveying the disciplines of history, literature, philosophy, theology, civics, art, music, and architecture in a four-year cycle, starting with the Age of Antiquity and then moving on to the Age of Christendom, the Age of Modernity, and finally, America's Great Experiment in Liberty thus proceeding from Genesis 1-1 right down to the present day. The extemporaneous lectures, given without notes, attempt to model the basic classical academic approach of moral philosophy. I'm George Grant. For more information, books, curriculum, podcasts, sermons, and a host of other resources, visit georgegrant.net. Hello, friends. Today, I am joined by Betsy Farquhar. Betsy is the managing editor at Redeemed Reader. When she reads ahead for you, she uses sticky notes instead of book darts and willfully dog ears pages, even in library books. Betsy is a fan of George MacDonald, robust book discussions, and the Oxford comma. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> she currently lives with her husband and their three children in the beautiful Northwest, but they are in the midst of transitioning back to the South where she and her husband both grew up. And in fact, when you are listening to this, they will already be in the South, Lord willing. So back on my side of the country. <laughs> Betsy, could you tell us a little bit about your family and how you guys got started homeschooling? Sure. My husband uh, is an electrical engineer, and he works for the National Labs. We have three teenagers. My twin boys will be 15 uh, in just a couple of days from this conversation, and my daughter will be, she is 16. She'll be almost 17 when this uh, comes out. So um, we both love school. Uh, my husband has continued to teach 
teach at a university the whole time he's been in the national lab system. And I was a school teacher and a school librarian. We love school. We, we go to school for fun at our house. And um, we assumed that was the plan for our children, right? So we started with them in a Christian school and I was teaching. Uh, this was when we were in Tennessee. And then the Lord moved us to Washington State mid-year. We had assumed we'd put them in a Christian school in our community, but we didn't sell our house in Tennessee. And I would not be working at the new school in the middle of the school year. So the dollars just didn't add up. So our big entrance into homeschooling was, well, we could do it for a semester. It can't be that hard. I mean, I'm a teacher, right? So with about a week's notice, we dived in. And seven years later, we're still homeschooling. <laughs> That is amazing. Okay, so I've got to hear how you went from, uh, we'll just sort of, you know, basically get from point A to point B, a transition period. How did you get from there to now homeschooling three teenagers? How has your sort of perspective or approach to homeschooling grown over the years? Well, um, I've been a Charlotte Mason fan since before I was even married. Um, and so when we that, that, and that had shaped where we'd put our kids in school anyways. They were in a university model school for part of their early elementary. So they were already at home part of the time. Um, so moving to full-time homeschooling, um, we just sort of made what we were already doing for life, like education at the same time, uh, just a little bit more intentionally. And we loved it. We realized this is really a great fit for our family. We have easy kids to homeschool. Um, they're, they're good students. They're so close in age that we can do an awful lot together. And so we really just delighted in learning about our new state, um, exploring it together. Uh, it gave us the freedom to travel home uh, at random times of the year, which was actually a pretty significant benefit because since our family's all in the Southeast and we were across the country, um, it was a lot more financially affordable to go in the middle of February than at Christmas um, and things like that. So it just, it just became what we did. It was great. And I love high school. So the fact that my kids are now in high school is super exciting. <laughs> the high school years are really fun because you start seeing your kids have their own unique ideas. And sometimes it's like, I don't even know where that came from, but I, I love seeing them just become their own unique individuals and, and all the growth and fun discussions and inside jokes that have developed over oh, time. Oh, definitely. Too. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful thing, but sometimes homeschooling is also challenging. Have there been any challenges that you've faced over the years of homeschooling and how have you sought to overcome those? I think for us, well, for me as, a, as the educator or the primary educator, the biggest challenge is what to cut. <laughs> because I want to teach it all, right? Uh, so that's been a challenge. I think it's been a challenge to, to meet social needs, especially we're coming off two years of the pandemic, and we have been in a state that's had some pretty significant restrictions on social activities, and uh, that's been a real challenge as my, as my teens have become teenagers, um, and some of the activities they were hoping to stay engaged in have just shifted or even gotten canceled. That's been a real challenge. So, Yeah, I think we're so quick to 
have our guard up if somebody brings up the socialization question, right? That sometimes we forget the flip side of it, that there are times and seasons, um, whether like, you know, external pressures that were outside of our control, like the past couple of years, or just sometimes like the makeup of the families with whom you're in contact. Like I have some children who have tons of people their same age and gender and other people who like really are more isolated. And, you know, that's no one's fault. It's just part of the providence of, of the situation. But we do have to be a lot more purposeful and aware of, of our kids' needs. And to say that is not to say, you know, oh, homeschooling is a problem. Socialization is the problem. But it's good to just remember it, it can be a real thing to be aware of and include in our, in our purposeful plans. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And sometimes that might be a co-op for my kids. They're very musical. So orchestra has been a big part of our social community. Um, but it has shifted and changed as they've gotten older. And we either need to equip them all with a car and a license, or I need to be willing to drive them to their things, right? <laughs> yes. It is nice now that my oldest um, has a license. So he, like, he was able to drive his sister up to see a friend of theirs, profession of faith, a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I don't have to drive an hour both <laughs> ways. That's great. <laughs> well, along with the challenges, of course, homeschooling has all these blessings and benefits. And you mentioned just the flexibility of schedule when you lived far away from family. Have there been any other things that have been a special favorite parts of homeschooling? Easily my favorite, my favorite part. Uh, this started four or five years ago for us, and we called it the Snickers block in our week because we had candy. Um, <laughs> but it's the end of the week. It's it's the last one of the last things we do for the week. And those who are in the Charlotte Mason world, I think, will recognize this. But there's a lot of little books that we read that don't fit into a subject neatly. Uh, a good example is Ourselves by Charlotte Mason. It's about character, you know, your character and knowing yourself. And it just doesn't fit into another subject. So at the end of the week, we have this block. We now call it Life 101. And we just pulled all those little strands together. Uh, but it just became so much more than that. It became our our little synthesis moment for the week. And we've connected the dots from the Avengers to the American Civil War. We've talked about Weird Al and Amish Paradise while we're also talking about humility. Like it's just been so fun to watch all the little random connections of our life collectively and even their individual pursuits come together in one big conversation. And it's just, it's been a great way to connect, especially as they've gotten older and they're reading things that maybe we're not always reading together. Um, so just rich conversation. It's been great. I love that. I love all the connections that we can make when we are homeschooling because there's all these different, both bigger subjects and sometimes just those little random things and to see them all coming together. And especially to see my own kids making the connections that I'm not making for them is just such a delight, I think. Well, and you can't script it. It's not like I wrote into a lesson plan, connect this to a weird owl song. I mean, <laughs> that wouldn't have even crossed my mind. <laughs> right? <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I want to ask you some questions, especially related to homeschooling high school and English, because you're right there in the trenches and you also have experience as a teacher in those subject areas. So I feel like you kind of have both sides of perspective to bring to this conversation. 
And I think a lot of times moms can get a little nervous when we think about homeschooling high school, like in general, but for some moms, the English can feel really overwhelming because maybe they don't feel like they have a good background either in literature or, or in writing. And they're not really sure like where to start or what even their goals should be. So I thought we could just start first really big picture. Like what should our goals be for the high school years when it comes to English? You know, are there things that should be our goals for any student or might there be goals that differ from individual to individual? I'm going to cheat a little bit because my, my big goals for English are the same for all of my classes. And that would be love God and love my neighbor. Uh, but I do think English feeds into that a little bit specifically because God communicates to us it through written the written word, um, we have an added impetus, right, to learn how to handle the written word correctly. We will read the Bible better if we are better readers. Uh, we will we will handle our own communication more winsomely and with more elegance in imitation of you know the Lord and His creativity if we know how to do that better. So, I think that's helpful to keep in mind. Our goal, our ultimate goal, is not college admissions or you know rock in the SAT. Ultimately, it's to love God and enjoy him forever. Um, and, and there's no required reading list in the Bible. So there's an awful lot of freedom in that goal. <laughs> but then I think we, of course, that's the overall goal. And then we look at our students and we look at what, what are they hoping to do? What sorts of gifts and abilities has the Lord given them? What are we helping prepare them for in terms of the next step? If they're college bound, that's going to dictate a little bit of what you choose to study. If you think they're headed more towards a vocational route, um, then you maybe have a little bit more freedom to choose something a little bit different. Um, if they're strong readers, if they're weak readers, all of those things are going to go into what you choose to do for your English. We want to take them where they are and encourage them and train them progressively right to the next step. Um, not so much reaching an end product as moving from where we are now and continuing to grow. It's pretty vague, but... <laughs> No, I love that. And I love that perspective of what we're really aiming for here because we can, we can get all distracted and like stressed out. Like what's going to look like on the transcript? What are people going to think about our reading list or whatever? And we kind of forget what's ultimately important. You know, that's like a short-term goal, right? But long-term we want to raise adults. We want to have these humans who can read the word of God, who want to read it and who can understand it well on their own and who can communicate well to those around them. I'm right now I'm reading, it's like over on my shelf. I can't reach it right now. So I can't think of the book title, but it's a book by Leland Riken about reading the Bible as literature. And as I've been reading it, it's my Sunday book. And um, as I've been reading it, I've been thinking how much the two things kind of interact together. So the better you are at reading literature, the easier you're going to find it to apply those skills to the Bible. But on the flip side, the more you're just inundated and your mind is saturated with the way God communicates in scripture, the better you're going to actually be able to read other books. Like it goes both mm -hmm. ways. And um, I think that's a, a huge gift that we have as homeschoolers, being able to really prioritize that in our homes. Definitely. Okay. So we just said there's not this like perfect, you know, ordained by God book list. 
But, okay, so the mom's like, well, that's helpful. Not really, because I actually have to decide what we're going to read this year. <laughs> so how do we kind of look ahead at the year and think about what would be some of the best books to include in our literature plan? I mean, you brought up earlier the finiteness, right? Like just being able to cut things. There are too many books. We can't read them all. So what is a mama to do here? Well, it, uh, some of this is going to depend on what kind of English course you want to teach. If you're looking at a survey course, like American literature or British literature, then you're looking at more broad than deep. So you can cover more work because you're not going to be annotating every novel you read. Uh, if your purpose is more how to study literature, then you might pick fewer works and really get to a granular level, look up all the illusions, study them. And so that, that would be one thing to kind of keep in mind. Um, we just did American literature, we're finishing that up. Um, and I wanted it to be a survey course. And so I wanted there to be a pretty broad representation of time periods. Um, I wanted male and female authors. I wanted, you know, this, this range of styles and that's a pretty tall order. There's an awful lot of things that were written in America in 400 years. <laughs> so from there, I narrowed it to what were some of the themes that, that I wanted us to kind of dive into. And one of those was what, what has the American dream meant in, in the past 400 years? And so, you know, you're kind of wrestling with these sorts of goals first. The other thing I keep in mind is I need some books that are hopeful. If you look at the AP literature lists or the standard, you can find book lists that are recommended all over the internet. And that's not a bad place to start, um, especially if you see the same titles popping up over and over and over. And maybe a number of Christian curricula um, committees are also mentioning you know, the same authors. That's a great place to start. But then when I look at my list, I don't want all of my books to be tragedies. I don't want them all to be dark. And that's a wonderful privilege I have. <laughs> So I picked books that weren't all death and despair and darkness. Um, we picked Huckleberry Finn, but I think that book needs some special handling. So we read the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass right beforehand, because I felt like they talked to each other well. Uh, they both had some pretty profound things to say. They don't hide injustice, uh, but they don't end on a note of despair either. Uh, so that, that's kind of how I approach it. I also start with what I love because you're going to be a better teacher if you're teaching something you know and love. Um, everybody has something they can start with. So start with what you know and what you love. What do you want to introduce to your son or daughter? And if you don't know anything, say you've never read British Lit, you don't know where to start. Well, pick something you wanna learn about and you will bring your student alongside. Maybe you've never read Jane Eyre. I never read Jane Eyre till I was older than 40. So I would have just taken, had my children been old enough, I would have brought them alongside me. Let's read this together. So start with what you want to know about and what you already know. Now let's hear from podcast sponsor and Sloan family favorite, Mr. D himself from Mr. D Math. Does your child love math, surpassing your ability to teach them? Or maybe you have a child struggling in math and you're looking for a solution that will help them finally get it. You want your teen to understand, love, and enjoy their math curriculum. Is that too much to ask? At Mr. D Math, we've got you covered. Many times a young person says they hate math simply because it hasn't been explained in a way that makes sense to them. At Mr. D Math, our teachers are dedicated to providing accessible support, instructing with clarity, and making math fun. 
We work with students from around the world, helping connect educational concepts to their everyday lives and exposing them to endless possibilities and potential for their futures. Head to MrDMath.com to check out our live and self-paced course options for math, life skills, test prep, and more. We even have courses to get your child ready for high school math or help them catch up or get ahead in a semester or less. Go to MrDMath.com or click the link in the show notes to see how Mr. D Math can bring clarity and joy to your homeschool. I love that. I think our enthusiasm as moms can really be a gift. Um, it can be something that can be contagious. Not always, not always, because our kids can also be their own people, but sometimes it can be contagious. So it's a good place to start. Now, have you taught all the same books to your teens altogether since they're close in age, even though they're different, I guess, official grades? I have. I think discussion is a really helpful part of reading through a book. And so it's, um, well, we've always done the same books. Yeah. My, my teens have been in a great books class together. So two grades apart, but the, the class ranges, it's all high schoolers. Um, so all sort of in that phase of learning where they can have discussions and think more deeply on some of these ideas, but, um, not just like one grade, you know, we don't have to think of like, it's the ninth grade English and the absolutely grade English, right. Just- Especially once you get to high school, because most of what high schoolers are reading are adult books. They're not, I mean, not they're grown up books, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Odyssey, there is no grade attached to the Odyssey or to kill a mockingbird, or it's not a ninth grade book or an 11th grade book. It's a great book. Right. That is such an important thing to remember. Well, as we're reading these books, are there specific questions we can ask our students to kind of draw out discussion or a deeper reading? Um, And if the mom hasn't necessarily had the time to pre-read all of the books that she's wanting to discuss with her students, is are there questions she can still ask to kind of facilitate the conversation? Oh, sure. Um, I, I do sort of a twofold approach. I, I ask my students to, and I say my students because I do have an extra student that's not my child this year. And of course I've had students in the past. Um, I like them to pick out from whatever the week's assignment is. Um, you can call it a commonplace quote. Sometimes I just say, pick your favorite sentence, your favorite part, something that stands out to you, write it down in a journal and do some sort of written response. Why did you pick that? Is it funny? Does it make you think about something? You know, whatever. There's no wrong answer here. So that can be a really helpful place to start the conversation. If you, if, I like to get together once a week and discuss what we're reading and um, start with what they are interested in. And then I like to follow it up with, would it have been different if, say, Lizzie and Darcy didn't get married? Or what if the author had described this character this way? You know, start asking questions about why the author did what they did and what the effect would be if it was different. And that's a very non-threatening, I mean, that's, there's no wrong answer, right? Uh, But it gets people to start thinking about the intentions behind the writing and what an author might be doing that's really great. Um, Before you get to the end of a book, you can ask people, how do you think it should end? Not how you want it to end, but how should the story end? And then you're going to help them start to see that sometimes a good ending, it's not always the happiest ending, but it might be a good ending. And then you can talk about how do we, how do we bring closure to these stories? Um, All of those kinds of open-ended questions. Who's your favorite character and why? Make them articulate their opinions in words. They have to think about it that way. Yeah. 
And that's where having a couple people together to to have the conversation is probably helpful because they can bounce ideas off of one another and argue with each other and all that good stuff. Well, and I've even asked, who would you compare this character to, you know, whether it's a movie or another book or some other story you've read or heard? Um, what does this book remind you of? What does this story remind you of? And then they're going to start making connections and it might be Weird Al, but it might be Tolkien. I mean, (laughs) you know, hardly different. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is really delightful to think about reading these great books together and having conversations with our teens. Then what about writing? You've mentioned, you know, having a response to maybe a commonplace quote. Um, I know that I have uh, tried to help have my kids learn how to keep like reading journals where they'll write some sort of response to what they're reading. And then we start that when they're very young with just like some copy work. But then over time, they, they kind of build up that muscle. But what about, I don't know, more academic writing, I guess, for lack of a better a better phrase. What should we be prioritizing when we're teaching this and how do we do it? And what if the mom is like, I'm a terrible writer. How do I even (laughs) go about this? Uh, Well, first of all, if you've not started academic writing before high school, no problem. There's, there's no need really to do academic writing before high school. Um, You can teach it. You can teach a format pretty quickly. And most of academic writing is following a format. Um, But what you cannot teach quickly is how to think and how to have something interesting to say. And that's going to make any piece of writing automatically better. (laughs) I've read really amazing, amazingly perfect essays in the sense of grammar and organization, but they were boring. They were not well written in terms of content. So anytime you can have your kids expressing uh, in writing something they're thinking about, like responding to a piece of literature or even just um, keeping a journal of what they're thinking about. What movie did you see recently that was great? They're getting practice putting their thoughts into words. It's kind of like speaking a different language uh, and prompting those conversations, just pushing that a little bit further. What do you really think about that? And, And why do you think that this politician should have been elected instead of this politician? Or why did you like this part of your biology textbook? The more they have something to say that's interesting, the better their writing's gonna be. And then it's really just a matter of connecting the dots. Uh, I know I'm making it sound like it's duh, anybody can do it. And that's not quite true, but, but putting something into the format of a five paragraph essay, the format is not the complicated part. The complicated part is having something interesting to say and knowing how to organize your thoughts. Um, and so almost anything will work to that end. But once you're ready to write academically, Um, I really love Wordsmith Craftsman by Janie Chaney. It's certainly not the only writing curriculum. And I didn't use a writing curriculum when I was teaching in the classroom. Uh, But Wordsmith Craftsman is written to the student. And so it it includes a lot of practical writing and not just essay writing. And I I really appreciate that. But she goes through descriptive essay, persuasive, expository. You know, there's a whole bunch of different formats. They're all slightly different. um, But at their core, it's somebody who has something interesting to say and they're organized in how they say it, and they have a basic grasp of grammar. So it's really not as complicated as people like to make it sound. Um, Everybody should learn to do a research paper, and there's plenty of help online uh, or in any writing curriculum about how to do a research paper, but the, the nuts and bolts of a research paper are you go find what somebody has said about your topic, and then you include it in your own interesting thing to say. I think the 
it's so helpful just to kind of demystify the process because I think there can be this sort of idea that, oh, you know, high school writing or academic writing is this sort of elusive thing that's that's very fancy and hard to achieve. And just remembering that the main goal is to communicate an original idea in a creative way, right? Like the author's Absolutely. voice that you can recognize, like I can read something that any of my children have written and I can tell who it is just because of their little flair that's in the writing. And so I love that and encourage that um, because that's what's going to set their writing apart, right? Um, but then it's funny to me, sometimes we can get so stressed out about like, oh no, I forgot to teach my kid MLA formatting or whatever. It's like, <laughs> that's pretty easy. You can just go on Google and like, where do the parentheses and the periods go? Like if your kid is pretty good at reading directions, they can probably Absolutely. figure that out for themselves. And that's what I would tell my students. I would say MLA, and depending on what they study in college, they might need to know APA or Chicago. Okay. It's just learning to follow directions and to follow the conventions of whatever vocation or profession you're in. Every profession is going to have some sort of writing conventions. And so it's not, a, it's not about memorizing MLA format. It's about writing appropriately for the situation that you're in. Yeah. Knowing your audience, although hopefully your audience right. is not going to want you to leave <laughs> off the Oxford comma, because then right. we will have issues. Right. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> well, I think this is going to be just such an encouraging and like just a calming conversation. I hope this brings some um, homeschool moms just a lot of peace and encouragement as they think about their high school writing and reading uh, adventures. And here at the end, I'm just going to ask you the two questions I'm asking everyone this season. And the first is just, what are you personally reading lately? Well, I'm not going to give you the whole list <laughs> because I'm always reading a lot of different things. Yeah, especially with, I guess, your work at Redeemed Reader, your book list is probably incredibly long. Yes, you combine homeschooling and Redeemed Reader, and there's there's always a long list. Um, um, my family, we love to listen to audiobooks in the car when we're all together. So I'll, I'll give you three titles. We're just about done with Dune um, because we all saw the movie. And as a family, we've been listening to that together. That's not a book I would have picked up on my own, but I'm really glad to be reading it with my family. And uh, just it's prompted some good conversations and uh, more characters and more stories, right, that we can bring into those future discussions. I, I always am reading aloud something to my kids. And so right now I'm reading Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nagiri. It's, it's not my first time to read this book, but I think it's much better as a read aloud. Um, we are really enjoying it. And I'm picking up a lot more because it's just a slower pace. When you read aloud, you, you have to read every word, <laughs> right? <laughs> and is this the memoir where he's writing of his life as a younger boy? Yes. Okay. And he immigrated from Iran. Um, and my husband has a friend who emigrated from Iran at about the same time. Um, we, we've been kind of trying to connect the dots and we think they're about the same age. And so it's been really interesting knowing this other man um, and his mother and then reading Daniel's story and, and about him and his mother. And just, there's a lot of similarities and that's been really fascinating. Uh, I and heard then, that, oh. oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I heard that title recommended by Missy Andrews from Center for Lit. And was really excited and got it from the library. But then I was talking to my local book club ladies and we were planning out our year's reading and I was telling them about this title and we decided to save it for book club. So I had to return it to the library because yeah. it's going to 
be coming up later this year. I'm really excited to read that one. It sounds amazing. It took me, it took me a long time to get into it when I was reading it on my own. My entire Redeemed Reader team was raving about it. I was, I think I might've been the last person to read it. And I was like, what? I, I don't get why they love this book. <laughs> So it took probably 40 or 50 pages. It's a very different writing style than I was used to, but I'm so glad I read it and my kids are really enjoying it. So it, it's worth reading, definitely. All right, well, tell me your, your third title there. So I always have a book going at bedtime and I'm actually pre-reading this for next year. We're gonna do British literature. So I guess when this when this is airing, we, we will be in the midst of British literature, but I'm reading Strong Poison by Dorothy Sayers. Uh, I know, right? Like what a hardship. So my, my kids, we've already read Beowulf and the Canterbury Tales and Pride and Prejudice. And so we have a lot of luxury going into a year of British literature to save some time at the end for some genre fiction. And we've read a lot of Agatha Christie and a lot of other, you know, Sherlock Holmes. And so I feel like Dorothy Sayers is just going to be a, a really great treat at the end. And I've not read Strong Poison. I've read Gaudy Knight, excuse me, and some of her others, but somehow I missed this one. Oh, that is so fun. Dorothy Sayers and all of her Lord Peter uh, mysteries are some of my favorites for sure. So if anyone listening has not checked her out, I highly recommend that you read some Lord Peter. In fact, I really love the collection of short stories as a recommendation if somebody is just starting out. I need to check those out. They're really delightful. They're really fun. And if someone's just sort of in like trying to get into it, it's a good place to start. I'm glad you mentioned short stories. I meant to mention that earlier. That's one of my favorite ways to introduce students to authors. Um, We didn't read The Scarlet Letter. We read a short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne. There are short stories by so many of these authors. And if you're really intimidated, just like you're saying, a short story can be a great way to get to know an author's style or just expose yourself to somebody who's famous, but maybe you can't handle 400 pages of their famousness. And there's so many deep themes and ideas that you can bring out, even from a very short story. Uh, My teen daughter just like handed me this short story a few weeks ago. was like, you must read this. It was only, I don't know, like five pages long, or we had printed it out from, from like online. Um, A jury of her peers. I don't know if you've read that short story, but I read it and it, it led to so many fascinating conversations mm-hmm. with my daughter and we were making connections with like murder on the Orient Express and other things. So yeah, it's amazing how much can be found. It's such a tiny little story. And Absolutely. I don't feel like I know much about short stories. Like I feel like that's probably a big gap in my own education. They're not hard to find. Um, any any good literature anthology uh, is going to have an assortment of short stories. And that's a fine place to start because they're usually picking... Um, they're picking good ones. Even if you don't like them, they probably show you something about the author or there's something significant about why it's in that collection. Um, So that's what I would recommend. All right. Good tip. I'll add that to my list of things to read. (laughs) That never ends. (laughs) Okay. Well, my final question, Betsy, is just what would be your best tip for helping the homeschool day run smoothly? So I have a little confession to make. Um, you had sent me this question earlier, which was great, so I could think about it. So I asked my children, my teenagers, and I, I actually asked them individually, hey, what do you think has made our, you know, what, when we have good homeschool days, what makes them great? And my daughter said, yelling. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yelling, is there a lot of yelling? And she's like, well, no, but that could maybe, I don't know. She was being funny. Then I asked one of my sons and he said, slave labor. <laughs> what? 
I do not treat you like slave labor. And then my third child said, your perfect children make the day go well. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, well, this is not helpful. But then I decided, you know, a sense of humor really is pretty helpful. And there are so many times where we, we just want to take ourselves a little too seriously or our children are taking themselves too seriously. Uh, so it's good just to, you know, share some laughs. And, and, and that might mean Calvin and Hobbes over lunchtime, right? It, maybe you just have had a really intense day and you all just need a little break. So you enjoy some comics together um, or you play a card game and laugh, but something to kind of keep that sense of humor going. I think that really goes a long way. That is a really good reminder because so often we can just get in this super serious mode, which really a lot of times is from pride, right? Like pride or fear, like either we won't do everything and be the thing that we think we need to be, or we think we're doing really great and we need everybody to perform at a certain level and just a humility and that ability to laugh at ourselves can, can bring a lot of peace, I think. Well, sometimes it's not peaceful, but at least it's funny, right? Yeah, at least we're laughing. Better than crying. <laughs> True. Always better than crying. I mean, Which there's we'll just crying be, too. <laughs> I mean, math tears are a thing, right? They're, yeah. Homeschool tears exist. <laughs> yes. Uh, there are no perfect homeschool families, that's for sure. No, and it, I think it's good to remember that nobody knocks it out of the park every day, right? Yeah. Nobody teaches the perfect math lesson every time or reads the perfect book. No book discussion is going to go perfectly all the time. Oh, yes. And I also remind my older kids, I'm like, I've never done this before. Like, I know you've never been a teenager before, but I've never parented a teenager before. So, I mean, I'm doing the best I can, but I don't know much. (laughs) We're learning together. (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed. Betsy, where can people find you all around the internet? Well, my most active home is Redeemed Reader. Um, I'm really not very active on social media. Uh, I have a private Instagram account, but it's pretty much limited to people I actually know in real life or have communicated enough with online that I feel like I know them in real life. Um, But otherwise, Redeemed Reader is my happy spot. I spend an awful lot of time behind the scenes as well as writing for uh, and reviewing books for them. And I will have a link to that in the show notes for this episode at humilityanddoxology.com. And I'm so glad that your fellow redeemed reader, uh, Megan, recommended you to me as a guest. This has been really fun to have you on today. So, Well, thanks for having me. It has been fun. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening in on this week's Homeschool Conversation. For show notes and links to all the resources we discussed, head to humilityanddoxology.com slash homeschool-conversations. And if these episodes are an encouragement to you, would you take a moment to leave a rating and review and to share with your friends? I am so thankful that you are here on this adventure with me. Let's repent of our constant striving Relish the joy of learning and rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. Stand fast, my friends.